you know, Father's Day is, you know, similar like, you know, Mother's Day in the sense of they're just the, just the emotions behind it. It's so diverse. Um, everyone have different experiences um, with, with their father. Uh, I know for me, I've shared before, not growing up with, you know, my father. Um, he is, was, was sick and died by the time I was nine. But I do remember some, you know, some of those moments when he was sick in the house and he's always walking around each night and just, you know, laying his hands on my head and just saying, this is my son, you know. And you think about that, what we're going to talk about today is one of the most uh, famous father and son relationships in the Bible. And for those who don't have like a biological father or never had a father present, this story might relate to you. It's the relationship between the Apostle Paul and Timothy. Um, when you read through the New Testament, uh, Paul often expressed a father-like affection for Timothy. Now, what I'm hoping from this is that we'll get an opportunity to see how we can learn from the lessons, even how we mentor others. So, don't be thrown off because you hear about um, Paul and Timothy. It's a great lesson for all of us here. Uh, but let's observe some of these expressions that we see in this, in, from Paul's affection to Timothy. Um, we see that he calls him a true son in the faith in 1 Timothy 1 and 2. And he calls him a beloved son in 2 Timothy 1 and 2. And then he says, son Timothy, in 1 Timothy 1 verse 18, and we see, he says, my son, in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 1. But not only do we see uh, this relationship when Paul speaks directly to Timothy, but we see it in Paul's description to the Corinthians concerning Timothy um, in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 17. And just for those of you who are reading, I'm reading primarily today from the New King James Version in case you're using a digital Bible. But it says here, for this reason... I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved son and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Uh, the idea of a spiritual father or mother in the faith is quite normal. Um, uh, some of us have resorted to um, having spiritual parents for different reasons or seasons in our lives. Uh, maybe you moved to another country or a new city and you don't have people there. Sometimes we say, you're like a mother. Um, we tend to do that a lot with um, spiritual um, leaders. But, or maybe you've just embraced this kind of spiritual relationship as a form of accountability for your life. So this kind of a spiritual relationship can be helpful in many ways. Now, 2 Timothy was written just before Paul was executed for his faith in Jesus. Um, he uses these final moments of his life to write this letter to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy. Now, in this letter, Paul reinforces his fatherly love, the spiritual mentoring that he had poured into Timothy's life. Now, there are seven uh, principles of mentoring that stand out um, when reading through 2 Timothy. And Along with these, you find some sub-themes within um, these texts, and I'm going to um, go through a few of these for us. And the first one is this, is that 
We should pray for those you mentor with authentic affection. Pray for those you mentor with authentic affection. Uh, in 2 Timothy um, 1, verses 3 to 5, it says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, and greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, and, and I'm, I am persuaded is in you also. So, um, so now there's a lot to unpack in these three verses. And God used Paul to lead people of Lystra and to faith. And among those people were three people that we find out. Timothy, Lois, Eunice, you know, my older sister, her middle name is spelled the same way. We used to say Eunice, um, but Eunice, um, and his grandmother Lois. Now, what we're talking about here is not the life of Paul or the life of Timothy. We're talking about the specific relationship between Paul and Timothy, so three different dynamics here. But to understand the relevance of, the, of these verses, we have to go back to Acts chapter 16, verses 1 to 3. It says, Then he came to Derby and Lystra, talking about Paul, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren uh, who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on, go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. So Eunice's uh, name is Greek, um, but she was Jewish. She had been married to a Greek um, man who did not raise Timothy according to the Jewish tradition. Um, so Timothy had not been circumcised in accordance with the Jewish custom. So it was Paul who took Timothy to have him circumcised. Um, but up to that point in Timothy's life, um, Eunice was faithful to teach him from the Old Testament, uh, teaching him the scriptures. So Timothy grew up under the spiritual or the uh, scriptural tutelage of his mother and grandmother. Um, so it was their faith that had taken root in Timothy and he began to gain a good reputation among the Christians. That's what we read in, in uh, Acts 16 and verse 2. Now, according to the culture that we have there, um, a person could be called youth until they were 40. So for a lot of you who kind of like, don't call me that I'm grown. Until you're 40, you're still a youth. And this, is, this was the culture there. So Timothy could have easily been in his 20s or 30s um, when, he, when he met Paul and Paul brought him to be circumcised, uh, for, you know, of course. Now, the reason for the circumcision is that the Jews didn't believe that the Gentiles were saved until they were circumcised. So, so although uh, you have Timothy is, is known, you know, in the city, he still didn't get, you know, this, I guess, respect until that was done. So from that moment, Timothy became an important part of uh, Paul's ministry. Paul invested a great deal of time and instruction and prayer into Timothy's life. So, so now approximately 16 or 17 years later, Paul writes these final words um, to his beloved son in the faith in 2 Timothy here. By this time, Timothy is now 
a pastor. He is the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Now, when you understand this relationship between uh, Paul and Timothy, you'll appreciate that not all the instructions that's given to Timothy is given to the global church. In other words, there's this uh, double standard, so to speak, between the things that are non-essential and how we instruct them. For example, there are things that I'll say to my sons that I won't say to others, or instructions, I should say, because they're non-essential. Um, every relationship has this double standard on non-essential things. Uh, uh, for example, there are some people who won't invite me to their homes because I'm called a pastor. Nothing wrong with it. It's just something that might say just feels weird. If you are just another brother, come on over. You're a pastor. It feels kind of weird. I remember when uh, a member came to our apartment a couple years ago, and I just had some shorts on in my house, and I heard him talking, Pastor Garfield's wearing shorts. It just felt strange, you know, in that regards. But that's just how it is sometimes where some things... It's not wrong, it just feels weird. Um, so shortly after this encounter, um, so this, after this letter, I should say, that Paul um, wrote, he was beheaded um, by the order of the emperor Nero. Paul knew that his execution was coming, and so he closed um, his letter that he writes with these words of victory. I'm sure you've heard it before. 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 to 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We just sang about this grace, right? When someone is, you know, leaving um, this church, for example, I often encourage them on their next journey. And some might see this as a negative, like, why are you encouraging them to leave? But I'm not encouraging them to leave. I'm encouraging them when they leave. It's a big difference. And, and here's why. When I leave this church, or when you leave this church, there should be no doubt that we finished the race that God had set before us and that we maintained our faith in Jesus to the end. That's what Paul did here, right? I mean, imagine coming here as a follower of Christ and when you leave four years later or five years later or ten years later, you're no longer a Christian. Or imagine, you know, if you believe that God has called you to do something to serve him and you leave here without ever getting involved to do those things. So when someone says they're moving on, I'm saying kudos to you because you finished the race that Jesus had placed in front of you. So now, if you didn't finish your race, that's between you and God. But I firmly believe that we never leave where God has planted us until we have finished our assignment. So Paul is offering these final words, knowing that he did everything that Jesus had commanded him to do. And in the instructions or in the introduction of this closing letter, Paul takes the time to give tribute to Eunice and Lois for their faithfulness in teaching Timothy the words of God. And here's why Paul mentioned these, um, these women. God gave a blueprint 
to the people of Israel um, for, for them to pass down his word to the next generation. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. But also in Psalm 78, verses 5 to 6. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children. You know, I was talking to uh, Eric yesterday, and he's asking, like, what's the verse that stands out to you? And, you know, and in this season, I was talking about how we serve God's purpose in our generation and not talking about, you know, 10 years or a decade or 20 years, 30 years, whatever it might be, but really in the now. What is God saying to you now, and how do we serve God in the now? The realities of our faith must be passed down to the next generation. That's God's blueprint. So Timothy's mother and grandmother passed down the legacy of faith, and Paul was acknowledging it. We often say that no one is perfect, and that's true. But we often use that statement as an excuse for not accepting the responsibility of being godly role models. We were singing songs that talked about that. If we keep saying we're unworthy or, or we're imperfect, then we never have to really feel pressured to live a life that's worth imitating. We just keep saying, oh, I'm so unworthy. And it's true in that regards, but we never take on that pressure, so to speak. So it's really an oxymoron to accept the reality of teaching God's word, but not accept the responsibility to live by those same words. I mean, something doesn't add up. I can confidently say that I am not perfect. And some of you are like, yeah. But I can confidently say that if you follow me as I follow Christ, it's enough to keep you close to God. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. That's what Paul had said. But then Paul qualifies why he made that statement. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 9 to 10. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God, but by grace, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. In other words, there's nothing in our lives worth following if not for grace. I'm not perfect, I've made mistakes, and I will make mistakes. So tell me something I don't know. But here's the key. All humans are flawed, but not all humans are living in sin. All humans are flawed, but not all humans are living in sin. There's a difference. Until we start living our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to constantly live a defeated life. 
Why sing about grace if we're going to rest in the confidence of our brokenness? Isn't grace the reason for for our hope? Now, considering that God requires us to pass down our faith to the next generation, the question is, what kind of faith are you passing on to the next generation? You know, we're constantly mentoring others or teaching others. What are you passing on? Paul says to Timothy, your mother and grandmother provided the rootedness in your faith. But as flawed as I am, I'm the least of the apostles. I took you under my wings as a son and taught you everything I knew. We don't have to be perfect for someone to imitate the life that we live. Like it or not, someone is already imitating your life. That's just a fact. Even if they never say it, you, the way you pray, the, how you lead worship, there's someone who's saying, I want to do that. So you might as well live the part, right? But the starting point of spiritual mentorship, it doesn't begin with Bible study. We need the active person of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, considering all of this, one of the greatest things we can do for the person who is growing in their faith is to pray for them constantly. 2 Timothy 1, verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. See, both my sons are old enough to make decisions. One's 18, one's 25. But I have to constantly pray that they make wise decisions because now they have to make those choices for themselves. If God is leading you to develop a mentoring relationship with someone in their faith, you must begin by praying daily for them. That's what we just read. If you can't commit to praying for them daily, you have no business mentoring them. That's what Paul is showing us in the scripture. The second thing is, Encourage those you mentor to persevere for Christ. After telling Timothy he was praying for him, Paul says in verses 6 to 7, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Paul says, I laid hands on you, which means he ordained him in the ministry. As I mentioned earlier, that Timothy was serving as a pastor. So maybe at this point he is becoming fearful of the challenges that comes with ministry. Remember that Paul is writing this letter from prison, and he was facing execution for for proclaiming the gospel. Paul says to Timothy, I know you. Don't give in to your fear. Trust in the enabling work of Christ and keep on going. He says, stir up the gift. The gift that Paul referred to was God's gracious call of, of Timothy into the ministry. That's what he's talking about, the gracious call. But it was the Holy Spirit that enables him to perform this. Serving in ministry is a gracious gift from God. I'm going to say it again. Serving in ministry 
It's a gracious gift from God. The reason we're sometimes burnt out in ministry is because we're probably not serving in the ministry that God has called us to. Paul suggested in Ephesians 3 and verse 8 that the call by God to serve in ministry is an indescribable privilege, a grace from God. I'm not sure about you, but I've never met someone who doesn't appreciate an indescribable gift. Have you guys ever met anyone like that? The gift is so indescribable they can't appreciate it. I've never met someone like that. So Paul was telling Timothy to rekindle the flame of this gracious gift that was given by God. You see, when you start to think that you're like, man, I'm used to, why is it that I used to serve God and now I don't feel this anymore? Maybe you're not ready to even make that commitment. So you begin to neglect this gift of God. Paul says, I ordained you, and there must have been this joy in saying, yes, I want to serve. And now something is, is causing the same thing that you were excited to do is now fading. Paul says, we got to stir it up. Paul was encouraging Timothy not to let, you know, that, that gift to fade. It was Timothy's responsibility to rekindle that flame, rekindle the gift that, you're, you know, that, you, that you've become allowed to become dormant. Um, there's a song that the worship team always sing about, let me find my own flame, you know, having that burning desire, right? I, I love that song. You know, see, once you find that flame, once you find that, that joy of serving God, the thing that God is calling you to do, Whenever you find that thing fading, you need people in your life to say, hey, hey, come on now. Don't lose it. I mean, that good friend, even if they're not a mentor, there are people around you that can say, I recognize this gift in you. I recognize this thing that God is calling you to do. And when they see it going, you know, dim, say, hey, why aren't you doing this anymore? You gather friends like that in your life? Yeah? No? If you don't, you need some friends like that to tap you on the shoulder, to say, hey, uh, especially if you have a lot of roommates, right? They say, hey, what's going on? I used to get up and pray often. Um, I don't see you doing no devos anymore. You know, and this, these are those moments when we often talk about where you don't know if someone is watching you. They're saying, I'm not that committed. But they see you doing it, and when you don't do it, they're like, hey, Elliot, whatever happened to the 3 a.m.? You said you started going through the book of John, and hey, why you stop at chapter 3? You need friends in your life. And sometimes you share these things because you're hoping that it can help you to rekindle those things in your life. So what might cause us to lose this passion for ministry, or cause to weaken? See, each of us has a place of, you know, of ministry in the body of Christ. We all do, whether it's behind the scenes or in the forefront. But whatever it is, there's something that causes us to lose that zeal oftentimes, and here are some things that causes this to, to be, uh, need to be stirred up. Things that weaken our zeal, doing the work of ministry in the power of our flesh. That's one way to lose it, right? Do it in the power of your flesh, or failing to remember the original call of God on our lives. We know what God calls us to do, but sometimes things in our lives cause us to lose sight of it. 
Maybe it's neglecting our relationship with God and not taking care of our soul. You know, you know it's one, one of those things that have been slipping out, you know, a couple of days here and there to, you know, to get in our break. And I've been telling people, like a broken record, in a couple of weeks, I am going to Jamaica. And somebody's going to be pre preaching up here. Because you have to take care of your soul, right? You know, yes, you might work hard, but you got to play hard too. And if, so you can't just keep going. You have to find a way to take care of your soul. Soul care is important. But also, allowing ourselves to become distracted by worldly concerns. Uh, maybe we, you know, starting to live an unrepentant life. You know, before there are things that wouldn't be sinful in your life. And sometimes you try to go as far as you can. And before you know it, you're living in sin and don't even realize it. And so now you find yourself living in sin and now the call of God on your life is fading. These are things that weaken that call. But not only was Timothy encouraged to stir up the gift, but in verse 7, Paul went on to tell him, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The word that Paul used for fear means timid. You know, whenever we have this attitude of timidity that keeps us from doing what God calls to do, that attitude is never from God. Never. It is not something that God has given us. Instead, God gives us a different kind of spirit. Paul tells Timothy that the spirit that God gives us is characterized by these three things. God's spirit is characterized by power. That's the Greek word dunamis. It speaks of the power to effectively do what God calls us to do. So yes, God calls us to do something, but we need something to do it. That's the power that we have, this dunamis power. God's spirit is characterized by love. So power speaks to the means of our ministry, and love speaks of the motivation of, its, of the ministry. So the, this love is the new commandment that God has given us in John 13, 34 to 35. So we've got to have this love to do. So not only having a love for the thing that you do, but having a love for the people who experience that. So for me, I love to teach. And yes, I taught different things in the school system. But I still need to have that love to the people who are receiving the things that I'm teaching. Then we find that God's spirit is characterized by having a sound mind. So this speaks to the way that we do ministry. It suggests an enabling of the Holy Spirit that gives us this sense of calm and patience you know, in ministry. I mean, just imagine someone who says, I have the gift of hospitality, or, you know, I, you know, God is calling me to just love people, and they are always just being impatient, saying, yes, God is calling me to raise up leaders, but have no patience whatsoever. The Holy Spirit allows us to have this same sense of calm. You want to know that when everything seems chaotic, there's a sense of calm behind the people who are called. So God is saying, I'm giving you the sense of calm to serve in the things that I'm calling you to do. So, if you notice, have you ever noticed someone who's called to children's ministry? You know, babies are screaming around them and everything, and they're just sitting there just looking. And then those who are not called to just like, how do you operate in the noise? Don't you hear that noise around here? Like, what noise? They're like, you don't hear that? Just, you know, just like yesterday at the park. 
those babies are screaming going along. And in one sense, you can say, we're at the park, they should scream. You're like, I know they can scream, but do you have to scream right now? But those who are called to be in children's ministry, oh, they're enjoying it. Like, ah, that's what babies do. They scream. God gives us the power. He gives us the love and that sound mind to operate effectively in the areas that we've been called to. So, so Paul is encouraging Timothy in these things. But he also says to encourage those you mentor to remain grounded in God's word. Notice the encouragement that Paul gives later in verses 13 to 14. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in, in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you Keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. That good thing was the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul wanted Timothy to be so devoted to scriptures just like he was. So when we're mentoring people, we're saying, the same devotion you see that I have, that's the same devotion I want you to have. And that's what Paul was saying to Timothy. The same way how you saw me read scriptures, do the same thing. So, and then he reminded him again in 1 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But Paul didn't stop there because he reminded him of the legacy of faith he inherited from his mother and grandmother in 2 Timothy 3 verses 10 to 15. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So you're seeing here, Paul is again reminded him that you learned a great deal of Scriptures from your mother and grandmother when you were a child, and you held fast to those things. And just to make the value of the Scripture clear to Timothy, he went on to say in verses 16 to 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. There goes that word again, equipped. So we don't have to cherry pick the scriptures if we understand the context and meaning of what it is saying to us. When we understand the context, we can appreciate everything that we read in Scripture. But then there's this thing that we see is that mentors must demonstrate an example of faithfulness. So we're seeing these things that the mentee should do, but there's also this charge for mentors. A good father doesn't just tell us what to do. He also shows us, right? He lives consistently um, with what he teaches. Paul did the same thing for Timothy. He didn't just urge Timothy to endure he endured right in front of him. He spoke of the things he suffered. He said persecution was there. You saw these things. So he's saying all the good things that you saw, me reading scriptures, me teaching the gospel, 
you also saw me enduring persecution. So he's saying, do the same thing. Don't just find the good stuff. It comes with both the good and the bad. You got to take it all. So he spoke about these things that we read earlier, imprisonment. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12 says, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Paul entrusted his life to Jesus and was willing to lay down his life for that. So Paul says, I'm going to demonstrate the faithfulness that I want you to show. So here I am on my deathbed, but I'm writing this letter to encourage you in how you should live as a mentor. Imagine being a mentor that can't commit to anything. See, everything that they start is incomplete. You know, you start to share, like, you know, share to your mentee. I'm going to start this project unfinished. I'm going to start this next project unfinished. But Paul says, you saw that I've done everything that I told you that God has called me to do. And here I am, fought the good fight. I'm dying and I'm saying, you've seen it. And I want you to do the same thing. Paul says, don't let that be you where everything is incomplete. Finish what you started. Now, a good father also tells his children what to avoid, which is unholy living. So we find it comes back to say, encourage those you mentor to keep themselves holy. Paul warned Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.16, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. I mean, when was the last time someone spoke so blunt to us, right? Stay away from discussions and debates that are non-essentials. Sometimes you got to hear that. Because these non-essentials not only distract you from the important things, but they also lead to harm for your soul, which is what Paul was saying here. But Paul didn't stop there. He continued, verses 22 to 26, flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, say it again, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. See, we live in a world often where Christians are becoming more fearful of telling their fellow brothers and sisters to stay away from some of these things that we're seeing, these immoral content or sexual sin. But the Bible tells us that if we see someone in sin and we don't correct them, we're judged for our inaction. It's in the Word. As followers of Christ, we have to stop massaging sin and tell people when they're wrong. Amen? Nothing is more important than their, you know, the, the eternity of their souls. The personal wholeness of that follower of Jesus Christ, it's, it rests on us when we see them and we don't say anything. We serve them well when we teach them what to avoid. 
and to protect, to protect their usefulness to the Lord Jesus. Number six, to encourage those you mentor to be of service to the Lord. Paul told Timothy in a very, very strong tone to get work done in ministry. 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 5. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at its appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So we all should be out there sharing the gospel with the unbelievers, all of us. A younger uh, follower of Christ may not know how to do everything right. But it's okay. You know, I've often say that we're going to make mistakes. That's just what happens. The kingdom of God will not be undone by one believer's mistake. So cut yourself some slack. doesn't mean you live in sin, but it means that you make one mistake. You're not going to undo all the work that Christ died to, to accomplish. Mistakes are a part of growth. That's how we learn. And God can use us to coach people along the way. See, a good spiritual mentor let others learn by doing. You know, some of you will make mistakes when you start serving. We correct those mistakes and we keep living. My only advice is not to make the mistakes that's already been made. Now, that's one of the things you know, I often say to my sons, that there are mistakes that I've already made. Don't make those mistakes. You can make your own, but not these ones. I've done it for you. Number seven, encourage those you mentor to pass on what they have been given. Paul had spent a great deal of time pouring his life into Timothy. But it wasn't meant just for Timothy. He wanted his young mentee, he wanted Timothy to find people to pour into. 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 2. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In other words, the gift that you have, regardless of the gift that you have, you have a responsibility to teach others so that they can teach others. That's just how it is. And this is what we're seeing in Scripture. When it comes to the faith, you learn more by pouring in. I, I love teaching because I feel like when I, when I give all that I know, it challenges me to learn more. So as I'm pouring out, I'm in the book. And I'm constantly reading, reading, and studying more because, I, because that's how I grow. By pouring out, I learn more. So as you give, it challenges you to develop that gift even more. So you got to pour out. So the things you do in ministry today is for the generation to come. Yes, we experience this joy along the way, but we're passing down the legacy of faith. 
What have you learned about Jesus? And what can you share to others for the generations to come? I often say that there are things within this church, the vision that God has, we may not see those things in our lifetime, but we have a responsibility to pass it on to the next generation so they can pass it on. If someone has demonstrated such fatherly, you know, mentoring, you know, wisdom to you, we should be thankful. Today, uh, Father's Day is a very um, good day to express this sense of gratitude. And although I've been speaking primarily between Paul and Timothy, maybe there's someone who's been instrumental in your life. Um, they are a wonderful gift um, from God, a gift of eternal values, especially if we have faithfully followed those instructions. A godly father or a godly father-like mentor is not only a wonderful thing for us to have, but for us, a wonderful thing for us to be. Finding ways that we can be good mentors to others. I invite the worship team to come forward. Look in your life and say, how can I be a mentor to others? Maybe we need to uh, pray and ask God to show us, show us who we can teach. Learn how you can use the wisdom that you've gained to offer godly mentorship. Or maybe you're here and you're saying, well, I've felt neglected um, by not having good mentorship in, in my life. I know there have been seasons like that where I've gone through them saying, man, I need good mentors. And I have to go out and seek them. And I'm always assessing my life. Do I have what I need to be effective? Because I have to make sure that whatever I'm saying to you, I'm doing the same thing. So even yesterday I was texting my mentor and just saying, thanks for what you've poured into. So I'm doing exactly what I'm saying to you. So let's pray to God, whichever stage you are in your life. Maybe you're the one that is mentoring, or maybe you're receiving. But the truth is that we should be doing both, receiving and giving. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for your word. Um, Lord, we see in scripture, um, uh, Timothy, he grew up learning to follow your ways. He made the decision to accept you in his heart. But then there was the Apostle Paul that came and said, there's more for you to learn. And he took him under his wings. I pray God for all of us here. Um, maybe there's someone who's watching or maybe there's someone who doesn't have a relationship with you. I pray, God, that you can nudge them in their hearts to maybe seek someone here um, in this room or, you know, to help show them the way, show them the ways how they can serve you. But I pray for all of us that are already followers of Jesus Christ, that we can find others in our lives in which we can learn but also find others that we can pray and pour into. Let us not be the ones to have a gift and not find ways to impart that gift into others. Maybe it's teaching someone how to play an instrument. Maybe it's teaching someone through Bible study. Whatever it might be, help us all to learn our role and be faithful in that. I pray, God, that you'll just cover us on, you know, on, in your blood and help us to feel secure in just knowing that 
you, your word is true. And if we live according to your word, we can be um, good imitators of what your word says. We just love you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.